0: Well, this is all about just wisdom, and there's not a one of us that should ever be able to go through the book of Proverbs and say, there's not something that doesn't
1: prick my heart or oh, convict yeah. me in terms of well, my life. Absolutely. We tend to read Proverbs and think, ah, those fools, but I am one of the wise people. Uh-uh, not me. And, well, I think that all of us are going to have times and ways in which we do fall in line with the wise person in Proverbs. We are also going to have times, there's a bite to Proverbs, because if we're being, if we're reading it honestly... We find ourselves in the position of the fool more often than we'd like to admit, and that's painful. But we have to get out of thinking that we are one or the other. The book of Proverbs is designed to help us to more and more often be like the wise person and not like the fool. Welcome back to episode 23 of Ben and Clayton Eat the Bible, the podcast where we go along with our chronological reading plan Discuss interesting passages for next week's readings and answer any of your questions. We did not receive any questions this week. However, one very exciting thing is that we have a special guest. My dear friend Adam Kipp is with us. How are you doing, Adam? Oh, I'm doing great. Good. Well, Adam, we are going through the um, book of Proverbs today. That's pretty exciting, I think. Um, I'm very glad to have you with us. Pastor Ben is suffering for the Lord. Would you like to guess where he's suffering for the Lord? Oh. Pizza Ranch. Yeah. Um, in Hawaii. He may come be on. at a pizza ranch. come, on. come on, Hawaii? Who, who would go to Hawaii when you could go to Pizza Ranch? So he's like, I'm off with COVID, and then I'm <laughs> off to Hawaii? Yeah. Well, he did miss he did miss his snake hunting adventure. So he was supposed to be. Pastor Ben has needed a vacation. We're gonna give him that. However, his plan was to take a week's vacation hunting snakes, be back for a week, and then take a two-week and one-day vacation to Hawaii. The poor young man. Now, he did get COVID, and he missed his snake hunting adventure, which would have been hard for me. I, If I was in his shoes, I would have been sad to not hunt the snakes. I wouldn't, I have
0: so many questions. Yeah, I feel like too. <laughs> it should just
1: be about the snake hunting <laughs> adventure. But like, he didn't get to go. His dad and brother did, and sadly saw no pythons. Also, oh, w- did they go down to Florida to... To hunt, to hunt pythons, pythons back. Yeah, I know, right? That does sound cool. I know. Anyways, anyways, we could talk about that the whole time, but we should talk about Proverbs. So, uh, a summary of Proverbs. When Yahweh came to King Solomon and asked him what he wanted from him, Solomon asked to be given wisdom, and Yahweh answered his request. In 1 Kings 4, we learn that Solomon was wiser than anyone before him and that he spoke some 3,000 parables parables that are designed to help other people learn and practice wisdom. And at some point, either Solomon himself uh, or someone after him compiled some of his and some other wise men's proverbs and sayings into one book, which we call the Book of Proverbs. The Book of Proverbs opened as we might expect it to by telling us its purpose. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. For the wise to listen and add to their learning, and for the discerning to get guidance. For understanding Proverbs and parables, and the sayings and riddles of the wise. In other words, the reason for the book of Proverbs is to help the reader gain wisdom. Now, it's interesting to note who the intended audience of the book of Proverbs is. It's specifically written for young men. The writer of Proverbs, and let's be honest, they are absolutely correct, believes that young men in particular need a little bit of extra help in the becoming wise department. That's why wisdom and folly are both described as women in the book, because the young man is choosing to spend his life with one of them. That's also why irritating and ideal wives are discussed, and not irritating or ideal husbands. But even though it was written specifically to young men, the wisdom in the book is for everyone. If we sum up the book in one line, it's one that's repeated often in the book of Proverbs itself. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, to become wise, mature, or knowledgeable, you have to follow Yahweh. Or, as it's said in two of my favorite verses in Scripture, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Proverbs is all about wisdom, and it describes the pursuit of wisdom in several different ways. Wisdom is walking with God. It's choosing life over death. It's choosing righteousness over wickedness or your own wife over the seductress. It's choosing righteousness versus wickedness, which I've said twice. not sure why I did that. That's all right. Listen, there's some Proverbs that do show up twice, and it's just because,
0: like, God really wants you to know it. So it's totally reasonable and applicable to the book of Proverbs that you would have it twice. I agree.
1: Now, the first nine chapters are a call to the pursuit of wisdom, and then chapters 10 through 29 are a list of Proverbs, with a few appendices at the, end of other, at the end from other wise men. Nearly all of them are said, though, to come from Solomon. Now, the Proverbs aren't promises. They're intended to be a sort of best set of best practices. The discernment teaches us when to apply and in what way. The book of Proverbs is not intended to tell you that if you just live in a certain way, nothing bad will ever happen to you. If it was, then the book of Job wouldn't make much sense in the Bible. Proverbs is a style of teaching that you're meant to chew on. that's supposed to provoke your thought. It's supposed to get under your skin with wit, paradox, common sense, and symbolism. So as you read, remember that all of us are sometimes the fool, and the book in front of you is written so that ju- as you engage it, the Holy Spirit can do its sanctifying work and help to make you more like Jesus. What do you think? Does that sound like a good summary? Oh man, it summary? sounds like a good summary. Yeah, I I had ChatGPT write it for me, and so that Oh, mm. you know what? I did... You know (laughs) what I I was... (laughs) That's not what happened. (laughs) All right, you
0: told me not to prepare anything. Yeah. But I was playing... If you hadn't, I was going to do a game, because I was going to ask ChatGPT to write a proverb.
1: (laughs) That's a good idea. And then to
0: say, like, all right, is this a biblical (laughs) proverb, or or... (laughs) is it from ChatGPT? Because, like, some of them were pretty good. I was like, write me a proverb about friendship. Oh, gosh. or, Or listening. Like...
1: You know, it's scary. Oh, so dear listener, ChatGPT, if you've been living in a cave, is this AI program on the internet, algorithm on the internet that you can use. So you can just ask it questions and it will give you answers. And it's smarter than you think it will be. So here
0: here are a couple. I said, uh, ChatGPT, write me a proverb about friendship. Friendship is a garden that blooms with trust, nourished by laughter and shielded
1: by loyalty. Oh my gosh, that does sound like a biblical proverb. Uh,
0: but I mean, it feels like the laughter one. You're like, oh, wait, no, that's something that's going to be on like mm-hmm. a uh, Hobby live, Lobby live, laugh, plaque and or <laughs> something like that. I, I write a proverb about listening to friends. An open ear is a precious gift. For in listening to friends, wisdom takes root and understanding blossoms. Oh, man. I thought that first one is something like, you know, yeah, an open really ear is a that. precious gift. That could totally be something that's biblical. But I feel like. That brings up an interesting thing for us to talk about and wrestle with, which is lots of people have written proverbs over the course of history. I mean, sure. Benjamin Franklin is renowned for this. He did, you know, a fish and company smell after three days, a penny saved is a penny earned. So how do we interact with biblical proverbs in a way that's different than worldly Proverbs or PT Proverbs or things
1: like that? What do you think? That's, that's a great question. So even um, at the time that Proverbs was written, there were other collections of wise sayings that are that are pretty much around the same time, some of which Proverbs gets compared to a lot, and they look very similarly. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that wisdom is something that can be found in some measure— without needing special revelation, right? A person can look around at the world, because that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is is living well in the world that you're in, right? And so you can look at the world, you can understand some parts of it and create sayings that are designed to help a person succeed and not fail, right? That is that is something a person does not needs the special revelation of the Bible for. However, Well, we have, I would say, and I'd love to to hear your feedback on this. The difference specifically here is that we have a collection of Proverbs put together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit that are designed, I think, specifically not to just be in line with biblical principles, although they are. There is also aai think, a depth here that this book contains wisdom that when chewed on When, when, when strived after, when really listened to and gotten into, there's just this opportunity for the spirit to produce growth. It's like a, it's like the parables of Jesus. There were other parables. What makes Jesus's parables special? Well, there is something special about them. The spirit is involved in a different way. What would you say?
0: No, I I would agree wholeheartedly. And as I was thinking about it, you know, it just came back to that idea of, you know, these these are special and worth meditating on and ruminating on and, and chewing on in a way that is deeper and I think yield perhaps more fruit than other ones. Because, I mean, anybody can say quippy saying, and Ben Franklin was really good at that. Sure. And lots of people are. But again, this is the inspired word of the Lord. And so, you know, these are the ones that are given to us from God. And so I just think they, they should hold a different place Absolutely. in our heart. And I think perhaps even how we interact with them should be different even as we think about it, then some of those other proverbs that we're going to come along.
1: Even I have around the, the upper part of my office sayings from figures in church history who are heroes of mine. These have all come from my reading and I consider these to be spirit led uh, people that are speaking godly wisdom. And yet I would put scripture over and above any of them. The, the proverbs in the book of proverbs are different in that chewing on them produces, I think, or has the potential to produce, a spiritual benefit that exceeds the chewing on these. For example, there, there, and every one of them would agree. They would all say, "Read Proverbs before you read anything I wrote." Sure. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, not the quotes you've got around
0: your room; those have a biblical worldview. But the mm-hmm. other thing we've got is that these are inherently rooted in a biblical worldview and yes. understanding of who God and is who God is and His desire to work. In our lives. And again, you'll get a lot here that you wouldn't get from Benjamin Franklin on, you know, God and Mm -hmm. you know, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all
1: knowledge and what it is to
0: live as a a godly person in light of that. So
1: So what do you think about the intended audience being young men? I
0: I mean he's writing it to his his son, so and future king, Mm -hmm. like and future leaders. So we get a lot on leadership and the work of the king as well. And I could definitely see that and understand that. And I think you did a great job of drawing out. That's why almost all of these are talking to men and from a, a guy perspective. Mm-hmm. We do get one that's about a wise woman, which mm-hmm. is tucked away in the middle. And when I came yeah. across it, I think it's 14-1. I'm
1: going to it as and well.
0: that's the hard part about Proverbs.
1: We got to jump around here. So it does mm-hmm. take a while once we start. The wise pick. woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. You're right. But like... It was It's super weird to like... It is. And I don't think I've ever noticed it before because I usually
0: read Proverbs in little chunks, right? Like uh-huh. instead of like sitting down and reading through because I will say it's kind of hard to read this through in one fail swoop because they all kind of start to blend together. Mm-hmm. But when I came to 14, I was like, wait, what? Like, what are we doing here? Like, does this show up anywhere else? And, you know, and didn't really come to it again till the end, but yeah. So now I want to know like, what in the world like <laughs> this one slipped in there for some reason like th- and this isn't me. the only one for women clearly but mm-hmm. i don't know maybe there's something especially pertinent there then for women to think of and wrestle of if this is the one proverb that specifically calls out a wise Ooh. woman
1: does this part of me wants to dive into that and part of me thinks that actually maybe we should ask the ladies in our lives what wisdom they would perceive from that that's that's, that's <laughs> The, let the men tell the women what they should get from this special proverb about not. Wow. I'm not going to dig in, but I just thought that was... That's fantastic. Um, I, I have a story, actually, that I think illustrates also that I think it's true that this is for intended for leaders and kings and so on. I agree with that completely. I also, and I'm fine with you pushing back against this, there seems to be something biological in men that we just have the potential for foolishness... That uh, a potential for foolishness that exceeds um, the the normal potential women have for foolishness, and I have a, I have a that's story. That's said like someone that's been a youth pastor before. <laughs> that's right. So this did not happen while I was at Lincoln. Um, it did happen while my first intern, while it was at Lincoln, and he was he was apparently on the floor but not present. Apparently on the floor but not present. So this young man at Lincoln Christian University. Lincoln has a rule against real Christmas trees in the dorm rooms. For many reasons, this story illustrates one. But this young man wanted a real Christmas tree. So he finds a real Christmas tree, brings it into his dorm room, and then it comes to Christmas break. So he leaves the Christmas tree in his dorm room for a month and returns after Christmas break. Now, when he returns, the Christmas tree sadly is not in great shape. And there is this weird fungus on the bottom of the tree. Now, the young man does not want to dispose of the tree yet, mostly because he he can't, he can't figure out how to do that and not get caught right away, but he wants to get rid of the fungus and he sees this as a harmless thing, right? The, the breaking of the rule. We could, we could address that at another time, but, but he asks his roommate, what's a way? like, how can I get rid of this fungus? He didn't want to touch it. And his roommate said, I heard my father say that when something like that happens, you can put some accelerant on it and it'll burn right off. Oh man. <laughs> so they go through the dorm. Asking the other guys if anyone has any accelerant. One of them, we can figure out this, but had gasoline in a can in his trunk. That's not altogether wise either, but they use some of the gasoline. They put it on the trunk of the tree, on the fungus. And this group of guys from the from the, the hall crowd in. I mean, a dozen, maybe 15 guys are trying to stand in the room because everyone wants to see what happens when they light this fungus on fire so they light a match they light the fungus and what do you think happens when a tree that has been dead for a month or over dry as a bone has some accelerant put on it and then has a flame given to it i mean we live in washington Illinois. we can burn stuff in our yards i know exactly what happens <laughs> so the uh, the effect was immediate and everybody had to had to flee and the 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 smoke damage was so bad that literally everything, books, clothes, everything, computers, for three rooms on either side, on both sides of the hall, is just done. Like garbage. Kids had to throw their computers away. And then, as the police show up and the firemen show up and put out the fire, the young man is horribly embarrassed. But then a question comes up. Is this arson? Because for it not to be arson, a senior in college, one semester from graduation, would have to convince the police and the firemen that he did not realize that if he put accelerant on a dry tree and lit it, that it would burn. And that that was apparently what was decided, that this young man was so foolish that he didn't realize if he lit this tree on fire, it would burn. And neither did the dozen or so other young men standing there. I don't care. We can talk about different kinds of foolishness between men and women, there, and there tends to be, you know, in girls' dorms, other foolish things happen, but that would never happen in a girls' dorm. There is zero chance of that story ever being recreated in a girls' dorm. Some girl would say, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't do that. No man, no boy was like, hey, wait a second. Maybe we shouldn't light the tree on fire. <laughs> You know, a guy was like, "Oh, put a little bit more on there." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> got to get. We got to get a little more of it done. And there's just a destructiveness to that kind of foolishness that uh, I think the author of Proverbs may have realized. These young men will be king. Their foolishness could be really bad. And the book of the book of Kings and books of Kings and Chronicles do play that out. I would I would agree
0: wholeheartedly, and especially what you said about I think men and women get involved in different shenanigans. Foolishness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great use of the word shenanigans. I really I think do so appropriate, <laughs> think it's appropriate. But I would say when we're wrestling with Proverbs, if we look at the foolishness here, it's not so much shenanigans, but that hardness of the heart yes. that wants to reject God. And mm-hmm. I think it's very good to delve into even, you know, guys have different hardness of their hearts in terms of that foolishness than gals. And we each have our own struggles. And, you know, Solomon writing this knowing like, his sons are going to be headstrong and (laughs) in fact we exactly see that happen with one of his sons 100 percent. and what's so interesting is i mean you've got proverbs here where he says like listen to other people and and like when you come together and have multiple voices you'll make right decisions and obviously he his son didn't do that or his son listened to a bunch of his friends that were like oh yeah like you should just (laughs) tax them and teach him a lesson and then they'll be they'll, harder than your father oh, yeah, was. Tell them like Nothing bad strong. will happen. The kingdom Ugh. won't split which no, will cause problems be for cool. thousands of years. Put a little more accelerant <laughs> on there
1: and just see what happens. It's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly, that is a better metaphor for this than I even realized it was. No, it that's exactly together. what Rehoboam's fa- friends were like. Yeah, oh man. Um. Yeah, so I think that's what's going on with Proverbs. It is good for us to thank you for drawing attention to the fact that That foolishness is not the in Proverbs is not this innocent shenanigan like this story in Lincoln is foolish. The foolish man has rejected the knowledge of God, is starting from the premise that his own eyes and his own sense is the best. It's it's Eve's mistake in the garden, Mm. and we're not blaming women for the fall. The if your wife is talking to Satan and you say nothing, you are also guilty. But the the. Eve sees the fruit and it says that her eyes, she saw that it was good for eating and desirable and she takes a bite. And so she trusts her eyes and her own reason above and beyond the command of the Lord, the wisdom from God. And I think the fool does exactly the same thing. Well, exactly.
0: You know, you said one of your favorite verses is, you know, Proverbs 3, Three 5, five trust six. in the Lord with all your heart do not lean on your own understanding and mm-hmm. all your ways acknowledge him and he will make you straight your paths. Next verse. Be not wise in your own eyes. Uh-huh. Like just, I mean, that's the struggle, right? And right there, it's like, I know God said it, <laughs> but, but you see, he didn't understand. <laughs> like,
1: uh-huh. Yeah. If God
0: would have understood what I was, yeah, what I My knew. situation is different. You, you see? I mean, I think that's actually what happens to us all the time.
1: Yes, I think so, too. We may, we may even acknowledge the truth of a general rule and the wise person is able to see when exceptions to the rules need to be made cuz almost every rule does need to have exceptions made to it the problem is we all want to see ourselves as exceptions to those rules and that's the problem
0: oh can we talk about like one of my favorite proverbs that has to do with that very truth yes absolutely so it's you know back to back do not answer a fool according, according to his, his folly, folly. You know, lest he become wise. and No, lest you become like him. Answer a fool according to his folly. Lest he become wise. Wait, I definitely got it mixed up. But it says, do not answer, and then answer. Yeah. And, and, like, back to back. And I just love that, because it captures that idea that, hey, listen, life requires nuance. And there are some times when you need to speak up, lest they be wise in their own eyes. But there are some times where if you speak up, you're just arguing with a fool. Or... As, as I've heard someone say, you know, you're wrestling with a pig, and the pig enjoys
1: getting dirty. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good I
0: did the thing. Yeah, that, that, could one. Be,
1: that could be in Proverbs. Yeah, hey, or ChatGPT could have written it. <laughs> the idea here, so some of the commentators actually about these verses, it's chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. And they read, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And so they're back to back different. Some of the commentators who I'm surprised by will say that this is just the effect of the compiler seeing that they were talking about a similar concept. And so they just go next to each other and it's coincidental. Mm. And I think that that's so wrong. This is literally here for us to we're supposed to read these two as different and wrestle with that because it means sometimes you apply the one. And sometimes you apply the other and it's wisdom discernment that you need mm. to be able to make that distinction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What other proverbs were, I have a list as well, but I'd love to hear from you. What some of the other things that you wanted to, to talk about were. Let's see. All right. I've, I've got some of my favorite proverbs. So I, I just picked like, there are some proverbs
0: that I find myself saying like more and more. And they're not always the ones that I would expect. So one of the ones that uh, has been true for me and, the most recent years is Proverbs three twenty seven. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is your power to do it. Hmm. And just that idea, like, hey, if there's something good or kind or encouraging, I could say to somebody, like, I should do it now and not say like, oh, I'll get around to it tomorrow. Or if there's a way that I can help someone. Or again, if, you know, if someone has done something well, like I, I've got kids and like, my tendency is like to say like, well, I'll reward them later for that good. But really just this idea of, hey, when someone does something good, like reward them now and give them the thing. Don't withhold it. If God's given you the ability to to do that, you should do that and give them that positive feedback so that they continue to know what's right and mm-hmm. good and true. Because I feel like too often I think that's the other thing is there can be a temptation in all of us, not just you. Hey, if if someone does something wrong. Yep. Like, I'm going to let them know right away, Mm -hmm. but if someone does something good, it's very easy to put off that good that is
1: due them till sometime in the future. I agree. Well, and that's, that's part of our culture is based that way. Children in school, when they hand in a test and it comes back, there's red ink on one kind of answer. Which one is it? It's the wrong ones, right? All the attention is brought to the mistakes, and we tend to be that way as a culture. You're absolutely right. Yeah. No, that's good. That's an excellent one. All right. Uh, now you do one. Okay. So Proverbs 18:20 20 to 21 is one of the things that I find interesting. So I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and read them. From the fruit of their mouth a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Um what do you th- like I wrestle a little bit with exactly what's happening here because what it sounds like is especially that last line those who love it will eat its fruit for a long time when i read this i assumed that it was saying you know when you if you if you love using your words well you'll receive positive fruit but i actually don't think that's what's happening here i think it's a warning against it the the power of life and death of the tongue is not using your words well or using your words badly. I think it's it's the, the using your words too much and using your words an appropriate amount. Too much talking versus the wisdom of silence. But I, I'd love your thoughts on that. Man, so, you know, it's hard. Like, if I would have seen
0: this, if it would have jumped out at me, this is totally the type of one I would have liked to have dug into more to make sure I understand it. Because the, the question will be, what does it Refer to, And I know that sounds like a silly thing to say, but does it refer to the tongue or could it be referring to the power? Like those power who love of life and death, those who will those who love that power and that control and having it, you know, they will eat of the fruit. So they will likely I could interpret it as like those that get caught up in the power they have of life and death and the tongue, they will experience what it is like. In their own lives as well, mm-hmm. although I'd need to do a lot more study before i I jumped in on on what this one would be, but man, that's a good one. well let me let me go ahead and yeah do some study now, and then we'll like just like jump well, forward and act like you already knew it, which would be fantastic
1: <laughs> But it looks like it's attached to well, tongue and power are the same word. It's a compound word. Hmm. So that would require some exegesis. I thought we'd be able to find an easy, like what is what is the object of the word? But it's con- it would take some exegesis. But I
0: mean, again, if they're connected, like right. the it is then that power, it could even be the power of the tongue. Mm-hmm. Like, and is that what you love? Yeah. And maybe again, when we're talking about Proverbs in a biblical worldview, I mean, if we're talking about what we love, I feel like, God should be first and foremost in what we, what we love and what we serve and what we hold highest. And I'm just trying to think if I'm talking about a young king or something like that. Who loves his words too much. Who loves his words and loves the power that you have to say yay mm-hmm. or nay and that influence. That's and, right. And, you know, he who, who loves it will eat its fruit. Because yeah. if you are that type of king, we've read through Kings and Chronicles to know what happens yes. to... To those that do rule in that way.
1: And I think actually, as you explained it that way, I think, I think I agree completely because like I said, the tongue here is connected to the power of life and death and it's loving that too much. That's bad. We who have been preachers have an ability to use our words, to stir up certain feelings, Mm. to convince, persuade a word that is, is a, a bad version of that is manipulate right? And if we wanted to do that, we could probably become very good at that. And the the love of that or the excitement of that would be a would be a bad. It would be a vice, it would be a sin. And I think that's what the proverb is warning against. When I read this before, I heard this always as a uh, an instruction to be intentional to use my words well. And it's not not that, but I think more it's warning against loving the power of words. I think mm. that's what you said. Yeah. Well, and just
0: you know if we talk about the power of words that leads to another one that i always like which yeah. is proverbs 25:15 with patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone <laughs> now i know you've got you've got some martial arts background so i'm very curious what what move uh-huh. like with your tongue like can, how many boards can you break with your tongue
1: like So that how is many actually an blocks? ancient secret that I can't I can't I can't reveal. Oh no. man, you're you're not he's sticking his tongue out very menacingly <laughs> towards me right now. And it's splitting in
0: half and doing moves. Like I'm just I'm not com- I want you to know listening at home you can't see it
1: but he's sticking his tongue out. No, the uh uh that's a 5th degree black belt thing. Okay. I never got there so I can't demonstrate. But the, I love that through, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. So there's a person that I think of here and it's, his name is Ryan Schrock. I don't know if he's a listener to the podcast. He's a member of our church, young man. I've known him since he was a sophomore in high school, I think. And he was, became one of my youth group sponsors when I came back in 2010. And he was a youth group sponsor all the way through 2017. Ryan is that classic, um, kind of a quiet man that when he speaks up, literally everybody listens to i saw him get mad two times in seven years of youth ministry which is an incredible accomplishment and it was in one of those times he was flicked on the back of his neck with a rubber band on our i think 13 of a 14 hour (laughs) van drive through the texas heat and it was just a bad idea and when he spoke up with a raised volume the whole van got silent because this was a person who did not speak loudly. Mm. This was a person whose temper was not close to the and when he said something with feeling, everybody listened. Now that's probably not exactly what's intended here, but the, I think the idea is if you if you preserve your words rather than just constantly use them, the people around you will understand that they carry a greater weight mm. And I, I think that's important. Well, just that
0: importance, especially in our culture where, shouting seems to be the best way to convey like feeling or try and change others like if i shout loud enough long enough i will get my way that does seem to be the way the world does things unfortunately but god's worldview is a little bit different in terms of there's something to be said for just a gentle well chosen word mm-hmm. with patience right a a king is persuaded it's not Again, notice it's not with enough shouting, with enough yelling, you will wear them down. That's not what we read here. I
1: think of Nathan coming to David. Oh, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. And he comes and he gives this parable and he tells a story about, let me tell you about this man, David. Let me tell you about this man who did this terrible thing. And David gets all upset. And then Nathan says, you're the man, which is the time you never want to hear the phrase, you're the man. Right? That's, That's right. You're the man, David. And David is caught in the midst of his own... His own sin. And he realized, he knew that, the, that Yahweh had seen it. But I don't think David had really reflected on what he'd done up to that point. And he's he's taken in by it. Which was gutsy on the part of the prophet. When you go to the king to say, hey, you messed up. That's sometimes dangerous. That doesn't work out real well for Jeremiah, for example. Like, it can be hard. But he did it. Yeah. That was great. Can I, can I take us to a different one then? Yes. All right. So... There's one that I've heard many times that is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. It's Proverbs 22:6. 6. Now, my NIV reads it this way Start off, or start children off on the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. And so, the way that I hear this understood a lot of the time is if I raise my child the way that I, in, in the knowledge of what is right and wrong, then when they're older, they're going to continue in that idea of right and wrong. And that on its own is not a bad idea, but that's actually not what the, word, the proverb is saying. That word should is where we, we get mixed up. Should is a word that can do a lot of different things. We almost always mean it with the right thing, right? That's what should means. But should can also be about their choices or their will. The Hebrew word here is literally their wants, you know, what they want to do. And so it's saying, start children off, and let them do whatever they want to do. And when they're old, they're not going to be any different than that. In other words, if you let children do whatever they want, they're never going to learn self-control or discipline. And I think that that is more more universally true than the other. Mm. What Do you have any thoughts about that? No, well, and no matter how you interpret
0: it, I think it's good... This is a good one to talk to people about, just that Proverbs aren't promises. Yes. And wrestling with that, that these are general truths. And the the fact of the matter is, you can find an exception for almost any of these Proverbs. It doesn't mean they're not true, and they're not the Word of God, but these are general truths about life. And so even what you're sharing here about, like, hey, if you let a kid just free-range it when they're little, that's what they're going to be when they're older,
1: I'm sure somebody will go, nah like— I was that kid that was free-ranging, and then I came to the Lord. Well, actually, I think about my wife. My wife who can remember the one time she lied to her parents. Like, dear listener, Lisa Tenervin can remember the one time she lied to her parents. I don't even understand how... Maybe it was a really big lie, though. It was about, if I'm not mistaken, it was about whether or not she had eaten her green beans. So, I'm going to go with not a big lie. I used to tell her, Lisa, if I just find out someday that you're concealing some terrible, terrible secret from me, I'm not even going to be mad. I'm just going to be impressed, you know, at this point. But you're right. There are exceptions to every rule. Yeah. Now take us to one that you're interested in. All right. Let's do Proverbs
0: 16.33. This is is always an interesting one. So we've got Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap. Hmm. But it's every decision is from the Lord. So as far as I understand it, and feel free to correct me or push back on this, it means that you can take the offering on Sunday and go to Vegas, and you put it all on red, and it is God's (laughs) decision whether you Mm -hmm. double it or not. But that's up to God because the Lord— guides
1: the lot every decision is from the lord did anyone has someone told you that that's what we do with the offering every week i mean yeah i mean i was like how do they how do they get this like great building like something's got to be going on people wonder what ben and i do on monday but that's it we take the offering monday. we fly to vegas with the offering and we double it you've got to say a proverb before you do it though so you gotta, Otherwise like, we're in you gotta trouble. say it over the dikes or whatever you're doing uh-huh. there there's this reminds me of a different one as well and we're not going away from it before we talk about it but the horse is made ready for battle but victory belongs to the Lord, right? And the, the idea between both of them is similar. The, the second one is more about man's effort, but this one is about the, the, the luck of the draw, not actually being the luck of the draw, but the Lord is involved in everything, yeah. Is that the way you interpret it as well? It is, but it raises all sorts of questions <laughs> sure. about like gambling and things like that <laughs> that I don't have good answers to. So are you saying that you're you're worried that this is embracing uh, gambling is a good thing? No, in no way, shape or form.
0: But it, as we embrace the fullness of the sovereignty of God, you come really close to the mm. line on some of those questions of like, well, God's in control, right? So, you know, he decides...
1: What happens? Yeah, and you're not saying this. I think a person could take this and use it as justification to spend all their money on the lottery. Oh, because... I know. Like, I
0: got the lotto ticket and, like, God controlled whether I'm a big winner.
1: Oh, not this time. Nope. Good thing
0: I bought like 10 more, though. <laughs> like, uh-huh. and I, I'm very against that, but how the sovereignty of God presses up against, I mean, God allows us to make those bad decisions, yes, but he does. some people also win. And does that mean God was in control of those that won and he did make them win?
1: Winners? Like, that's where it gets complicated. Well, I mean, you think about, like, I mean, it says that, I mean, the book of Romans tells us that the Lord is behind every leader coming to power, right? And there have been some really, that was written while Nero was in power. Mm. The man who was taking Christians from churches, binding them to poles, covering them in tar, and then lighting them on fire as tiki torches for his lawn parties. These people were hearing from Paul that the man who was literally burning to death people from their church think about who you sit next to in the pew at church they're gone burned to death by nero and then paul says yeah but god put him in power on purpose mm. i mean that makes that makes suffering that makes evil that makes pain all of that much harder mm. yeah so um do you play the lottery adam no no i, I actually i tell my kids
0: don't ever play the lottery like uh-huh. To specifically, and I even say this, listeners: don't ever even play claw games because those are rigged Ooh. too. Like, I was big into claw games as a kid; uh-huh. I thought it was a game of skill, but no, it's a game of chance. Like, it's just they determine like every ten pulls or something, you'll get a good one. Like any of those things, I tell my kids: like, don't ever do it. Those people are rich, and you are not, <laughs> and there is a reason because it's not designed for you to win; uh-huh. it's designed for them to make money. Good call. Well, this is all about just. Wisdom. And there's not a one of us that should ever be able to go through the book of Proverbs and say, there's not something that doesn't prick my heart or convict me in terms of my life.
1: Absolutely. We tend to read Proverbs and think, ah, those fools. But I am one of the wise people. Uh Uh-uh. Not me. And well, I think that. All of us are going to have times and ways in which we do fall in line with the wise person in Proverbs. We are also going to have times, there's a bite to Proverbs, because if we're, being, if we're reading it honestly, we find ourselves in the position of the fool more often than we'd like to admit. And that's painful. But we have to get out of thinking that we are one or the other. The book of Proverbs mm. is designed to help us to more and more often be like the wise person and not like the fool. So another one I'd like to discuss is Proverbs chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. What I love about this is I think there is this idea in, for a lot of people that as long as my sin is private— as long as I'm not doing it against another person, then I get away with it. There's no harm done. I haven't I haven't hurt anyone or anything and my sin is 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 my own and it's fine. And it's not. Hmm. We never get away with it. There is a there is a harm done to our spirit when we embrace or commit sin. And we are doing something inside that is not good, opening the ways for further, further struggles, further sin struggles. And we're, we're shaping ourselves, forming ourselves in a way that we don't want to be formed. It's spiritual formation in the wrong direction. And I just think that that's an important piece. C.S. Lewis uses it in Mere Christianity. He gives the, the idea that we're all like ships heading in the, the same direction. And if you don't take care of the inside of your ship, what's going to end up happening is it breaks down and it's going to crash into other ships, right? You can think about a car on the freeway. What I do inside my car doesn't matter. But if you don't take care of your car, then it spins out of control or breaks down and crashes into someone else. What happened inside still affected the people around you. And we see that happen again and again and again in marriages when people think that porn addictions, pornography addictions are fine. They're not a big deal because they don't hurt anyone. And aside from the way that the porn industry is, is evil. um, It's still doing work in your heart that is Mm -hmm. preparing you and causing harm to you, preparing you in a way that's going to cause harm to others.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. And I'm just, I'm in wholehearted agreement with that idea that I think we just get caught up in uh, understanding. That's very much like the Pharisees had in the time of Jesus that sins just about what you can see on the outside. And You know, as long as I can control what you see on the outside, I'm okay and I'm right with God. And Jesus described those men as whitewashed tombs. Yes. They looked good on the outside, but, like, their souls had been eaten up on the inside. And just those private sins, those secret sins, and whether you hold it together long enough that it doesn't impact people, because that does sometimes happen, or, you know, whether it does spin out of control and it becomes public and it impacts others no matter what, like you're tearing apart your soul and God cares desperately about our souls and he doesn't want us to go through that. And like, like this proverb says, like our ways, our hearts, our souls, our plans are laid out before the Lord. And in the larger context of that chapter,
1: and God wants us to choose wisdom over folly. Absolutely. Absolutely. He does. Yeah. Do you have another one you'd like to take us to? All right. We're at
0: Proverbs fourteen thirty. Proverbs fourteen thirty, And I feel like this is a good one for today. Ooh. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. rot. What a good word. Oh, I know, man. And, and you know, especially, especially the second half of that proverb, just envy makes the bones rot. People don't really envy today, do they? No, no, just... <laughs> Wait, what's envy? Envy's not like when I look at other people and what they have on social media and want it for myself, is it? Because I hope
1: not, because <laughs>
0: yeah, then that might be causing a lot of rot in our culture and our society. As everybody, I think, is just filled with. I feel like consumerism is built upon uplifting the idea yeah. of envy and like, don't you want this? Don't you want to be this? Don't you want to have this? And the Bible says that is going to rot your Bones, the very foundation of what holds you together and keeps you up will rot away on the inside if you were caught up in that
1: envy. Mm. Hmm. Speaking of the the way social media reinforces or causes a sense of envy, one of the particularly insidious parts of that is that the thing you're seeing isn't even real most Mm. of the time. You know, the perfect marriage on social media may not be a happy one. But the pictures are taken in such a way to make it look exactly that way. The plate of food that the person shows you and how good and healthy they are. Sometimes those are taken from the internet and passed off as their own picture. But sometimes also they just take care to show you exactly the bits they want. Instagram in particular, studies have shown as Instagram has become popular, self-harm among middle school girls has dramatically increased Mm -hmm. in correspondence. And one of the reasons is because you have all these filters. Girls are taking pictures of themselves, editing them to make themselves look beautiful, putting it online. A girl sees it, knows she doesn't look like that, feels badly about herself, takes a picture, feels badly because she has to edit it, put it online. The girl who posted the original picture sees it, feels badly about them. I mean, it's just, and it's not good. It's just rotting the bones of everybody yep.
0: involved. involved. And like, I think that's where we got to go back up to the first part of our proverb, which is, you know, what's your translation have? Like, so the, I've got the ESV here just because that's what's yeah. in my Bible app. So a tranquil heart. Do you I have got a heart peace? at peace. A heart at peace. Like, and, and man, wouldn't it be great to be able to have a heart at peace? And you know what? We live in a culture that's always looking for like bigger, better, faster, flashier. Like we don't live in a culture that says, Hey, just be at peace. Like You're right. Just be tranquil. Just enjoy what God has given you. Your daily bread instead of
1: their daily bread. hmm But here, I want to take us to Proverbs 13, eight. All right. A per- I, my translation says a person's riches may ransom their life but the poor cannot respond to threatening rebukes. And it's not just this proverb, but all through the book of Proverbs, riches are seen as a good thing. They're positively spoken Mm -hmm. about. Wealth is positively spoken about. Work hard so that you can be wealthy. If we fast forward to the New Testament, we see Jesus speaking universally about wealth as spiritually dangerous, right? It's, I think, wrong to say that the picture we get in the New Testament is that wealth is always bad. But I think it's right to say that wealth is always very spiritually dangerous. It's a it's a potential trap to fall into. I'd love your perspective on why do you think there's such a disparity between either Proverbs or the Old Testament view of wealth and like Jesus's view in the New Testament. I'm putting you on the spot too. So if Oh man,
0: no, there's like deep waters here. Maybe, yeah. maybe we're going to have to cut this out depending on whether I put together a coherent answer or not. So I would say that it has to do with our understanding of the Old Testament covenant. And I feel like we've got a decent amount of this, you know, as we go from Old into the New Testament, where, I mean, God does say to them as they head into the land. And this is this is a conditional covenant that Israel is under. If you do this, uh-huh. I will do this. It's a syllogism. It's an if then. Yes. Like if you obey me, I will Bless you. Mm-hmm. If you do not, I will curse you. And so, in many ways, wealth came to be associated as a good thing, as a sign of God's blessing, of his work in your life, because you would see those that are wealthy as those that had obeyed God and been blessed. Now, we zoom into the New Testament and we see lots of issues and problems with some of the most wealthy and influential people, and they were not nearly as godly as they thought they would be but again in the old testament i can see that especially as we think of israel and honestly remember the context of our proverbs which is a king writing to his sons who are also kings and if we're talking about as an individual like wealth is seen as a blessing how much more so as a nation of israel where it's like hey What shows God's work at our life is when we are a rich and prosperous nation. And we absolutely do see that play out in the life and history of Israel, where under David and Solomon, they prosper greatly. And as the people walk further and further away from the Lord, there's more and more difficulties and struggle. So it's in that context that I would understand a lot of these Proverbs about wealth, rather than trying to think like, oh, well, you know, I should want to be rich today, especially as you so rightly mentioned, Jesus's perspective of things in the New Testament.
1: Yeah, I can say amen to 100% of that. All right, I got one right. <laughs> Specifically, the, the, the way Jesus talks about wealth, it money is, if not the most common thing that Jesus talks about, it's one of the most common things. He talks oh, yeah. about money more than he talks about prayer and always in a be careful or a negative light. And the... The importance there is about the way that that money can lead to power and power can lead to corruption or tends toward corruption. And what's fascinating for me about that is a, a, a modern American reader will read Proverbs and come away, I think, with a lot of this riches talk. And it fits pretty mm. easily into the prevailing like American worldview that if I work hard, I will become wealthy. And if I'm wealthy, that is a sign of my hard work. And sometimes that is the case. I know people who began not, not wealthy, a lot of things working against them, through hard work, and I'd say the Lord's blessing, came to a different, different stage of life. The problem is there are also so many examples of people working hard and not having those kinds of breaks, or people not having to work hard and having that kind of that kind of benefit. And so I think one of the things we have to remember as we read Proverbs is not to embrace the talk of riches that we see here as though that applies one-to-one to to our life today because Jesus cautions us against the pursuit of wealth as a goal or a good end. Yeah. What
0: I would say our goal should be to pursue God first and foremost. And if blessings come, praise him. And if not, praise him. And yep. no
1: matter what, we'll be blessed come eternity. Exactly. The, the real blessings, there will come a day a million years from now when we look back and the wealthiest here and the poorest here do not even, we will probably remember, but it is not a significance as to what kind of material wealth they had here, given the riches that will be waiting for them in heaven.
0: Again, there's the old joke of the guy that showed up in heaven with a suitcase of gold bricks and they were like, hey, this guy brought pavement. <laughs> I love that. That's funny. So let's go to Proverbs 5. We're just right here in in that area. And let's do Proverbs 5, 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Clayton, what does it mean to drink <laughs> water deeply from your own cistern? Just hmm. Is this saying that we shouldn't share water rights? Because that's what I was you know, uh-huh. thinking that it was about like, hey, listen, we can't have two wells on this property. Like, mm. this is my cistern and like you cannot like take water from my cisterns, so, which is weird because the Bible talks so much about being generous and sharing with others. So look, if you
1: could just explain this one to me, I sure would appreciate it. So what I had originally thought this was about for a long time, and I, I, I recognize this. I remember us having a joke about it in Bible college. And my my position there was it was about not going to other people's wells and drinking their water, right? You don't want to you don't want to be dishonest and take what isn't yours. So drink your own. However, if you read just a little further, it makes it clear that's not actually what it's talking about. Verses 16 and 17 say, Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of waters in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Nobody can have my water. Like... There was a water main break up on the square just
0: like, you know, earlier this week. And so, uh-huh. You know, that that's this that's what this is
1: talking about like if there's a water main break. Yeah, and, that's exactly what okay, it actually good. weird the craziest transition ever here. So, you know how when you're giving an example sometimes like a metaphor and you make a hard turn and nobody follows. Verse 18 is that, "May your fountain be blessed." So that's all the stuff that's been talked about and "May you rejoice in the wife of your youth." <laughs> Drink from your own well, right? Don't let anyone else drink from it. Don't let it overflow. Let it be yours and yours alone. Also rejoice in the wife of your youth. What? A lovely deer, a (laughs) graceful
0: doe. What's the next line? Um. Why should you be
1: intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? That's not the next line. Are you line? sure? <laughs> Dear listener, the next line has the word breasts in it. What?
0: You can't <laughs> say that? Except that it's in the Bible. So I guess you're allowed to. When you're I reading that... it in the Bible. What
1: does the ESV say? Does it say breasts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. <laughs>
0: didn't know if it would pick a different word. <laughs> <laughs> like...
1: So what I think this uh, this proverb is telling us, Adam, is that we should rejoice in the things that the Lord has given us and be cautious about giving things that are specifically blessings to us away when they could harm the other people. Well, and
0: I would I would even push one step further. And I think just literally like, this is Solomon, right? I mean, we know what happened with Solomon. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. And I mean, just this idea of like, hey, like love the wife that the Lord gave you and mm-hmm. like. May you find joy and fulfillment in your relationship, physical, emotional, spiritual, together. And may that be what nourishes you instead of, you know, looking somewhere else. You are to drink deeply from your own cistern and drink deeply, like love that relationship. Because listen, like God created that husband and wife relationship. And it's a beautiful thing. And he wants us to enjoy that within the bounds of godly marriage. And I, I do see Solomon maybe um, looking back and uh, maybe he's made some wrong choice. We don't know exactly when really? he he wrote this, but
1: hey, <laughs> Solomon, like, uh, or hey, kids, just stick with the first one. <laughs> well, I think that that then it will conclude us. So I told you beforehand how this will usually end. Um, and if you have an ending besides what we usually do, then I would love to let you do that now. And then I'll say, stay hungry, my friends, afterwards.
0: All right. I will, we'll do that. All right. Let me find it. And I thought it would only be appropriate if we closed with a a proverb. Ooh. One of my favorite proverbs. If you find honey, eat just enough, lest you will have your fill of it
1: and vomit. Stay hungry, my friends. Ben and Clayton Eat the Bible is a podcast ministry of Calvary Community Church. All contents are under copyright. Our theme music is by Alex Productions. Any thoughts and opinions are solely mine and Clayton's.
0: You know, Jesus had the same amount of hours that we did. It always kind of sticks with me. That. I wonder if he was, like, always tired. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. The
0: humanity of Jesus and fatigue is an interesting question. You know, we we see, like, all these different depictions of Jesus where there's, like, the happy Jesus. I don't know if you remember that film and, like, serious Jesus. But I want to see one where
1: it's, like, Jesus is just perpetually tired. <laughs> you guys. Just, like, he's exhausted. Yeah, but he, like, he, he didn't make it past 33, probably. So oh, he didn't really get to experience middle age. Oh, <laughs> trust me. Like, yeah, I figure... He, it's because he was so exhausted. <laughs> On the cross he was just like I'm done. He did, he did. Like those are literally his last words. Just, it is it's, finished. It's, not, it's over. <laughs> like so maybe there's part of that there. We've just misunderstood this whole time. It's just pure unadulterated exhaustion of mm-hmm. what ministry is like. Yeah, and he, it's like he being followed around by 12 people. Yeah, I got you. I think you might be right.